this evening. Matthew 25, beginning to read it, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. The wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but rather go ye, but rather go ye to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for filling this house tonight with hungry hearts and souls, Lord, that want to come to hear your word and to worship you. And we pray tonight, Lord, that you would, Lord, challenge us and help us, Lord, those who are maybe waning in the faith, that you'd strengthen them. Give them, Lord, that risen wake-up call, Lord, to arise upon their feet and be ready for me. Believe that your son is even at the doors. And we ask you, Father, that you would now take my lips and use them for your glory. Use them for your honor, Lord. And Father, we pray in my frailty, Lord, you'll show your strength. And in my inability, Lord, you'll show forth your anointing power. And Father, tonight, if there's one, whether it's here in this meeting, listening live, or we'll watch later, we pray that they will, Lord, be strengthened by the word. But if there's one that knows not your son, they will be saved by sovereign grace, that they'll come to the old rugged cross and be ready and prepared for the coming of your son. Or should he call? And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, settle us in your presence, settle us in our hearts and settle us in our seats, Lord, that your word may have free course among us this evening. And may your spirit move from seat to seat and from heart to heart, speaking and moving and directing and touching as only he would deem it fit, Lord, to carry thy word into the breast and the bosom and the minds of men and women to the glory of your name. We ask it, Lord Jesus. Amen. This evening we want to speak on the title, The Midnight Cry. The Midnight Cry. The story of a parable of the ten virgins is obviously it's well known. And this parable, as we have read it this evening, we see that these ten virgins are five wise, having oil in their vessels and in their lamps, and there are five foolish, run out, of oil. And we don't even fully realize it until there's a midnight cry. Until the cry was made. Look at what it says in verse 6. And at midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Notice verse 7. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Can you see there's 10 of them? 
We're not told they're wise and foolish at this point. They're all waiting for the Lord as they think. But they're not all ready. They're not all prepared. For when the call goes out or the cry, the midnight cry is, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Five were wise and had that oil in their vessels and their lamps, and five were foolish, and go to trim their vessels, and their lights being put out. Am I speaking to someone tonight, and uh, pardon the expression, but your light of faith has almost been put out. The struggle in your heart is real. The trial that you've come through has been hard. The depths that you've maybe uh, uh, went through has been deep, but really your light, your lamp has almost been put out. I'm speaking to someone, a Christian, a believer tonight, where you've allowed your walk with Christ to be diminished. You've allowed your walk with Christ to be to wane with a place of worship and the place of gathering together with God's people and the place of prayer, seeking the face of the Lord. You've allowed it to diminish day by day and gradually, step by step, you've got further and further away from the Lord. Am I speaking to someone like that? Am I speaking to a heart like that tonight? Rather, is the Spirit speaking to you tonight? If the Lord was to, to come back, would you be like a wise virgin or a foolish one? Would you go into the marriage chamber, as it were, or would you be shut outside? And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. This cry was very sudden. Here it is. It was unexpected. It was the middle of the night. Five were caught on. Five would be caught up. I remember in a prayer meeting one time, there was a man praying in a prayer meeting, and he says, Lord, there will be many beamers at the beamer. Red faces, before the judgment seat of Christ for believers, not the great white throne judgment for believers. Embarrassed that we've allowed our lamps to go out. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Notice, and at midnight. And at midnight. Now you, to you and I, living in the Western world, midnight goes like this, 1155, uh, 6, 7, 8, 1159, Midnight. It's not the way it goes in the clock. I was driving just down the road here and it was like some sort of a, a digital clock. Funny, I never even noticed it before and I don't know how many times I've drove up and down that road to come here. And there it was telling the time. A shape of a clock and it wasn't just the numbers, it was the actual clock and like these, arm, these arms were on it. And I just happened to be driving past and as I was driving there it was, there's the clock. And I thought, is that at midnight that one of the arms were up and the other one was away somewhere else? It was off time. It was missing out the time, the proper time. It wasn't the right time. Just driving down tonight and I thought, I've never seen that clock before. But not only have I not seen that clock before, when I seen it, it wasn't right. The Lord says that he'll come back. It says at midnight, there was a cry made. Midnight to us is not 12 p.m. Or a.m., should I say. 
Midnight to us is not, it, it may be on a clock where the two hands go directly above to the number 12 and it's dark outside. See, there's midnight. We're waiting for the cry. We'll be ready by then. That's not what it means here in the scripture. The word midnight is made up of two words. One of them is mesos or mesos. And it means in the middle of. Somewhere about that. For example, we could have the Lord would come and to the midst of his people. It doesn't say any particular part of the service or time. It doesn't say any particular part of the area where we are. He just comes in to visit, as it were, in his presence in a meeting. And so he's in the midst of his people. It's the mesos. And the word here for midnight is one is mesos. And then for night, it's nukes. And nukes simply means when it's dark, when it's black, and when everyone is not ready. Notice this. So it isn't 12 o'clock because the Lord Jesus said in our reading in verse 13, What's there for? For you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. None of us know the day nor the hour when Christ will return. The signs of the times may tell us a brief time scale, a rough area, a rough timing of when he'll come back, but none of us know the day nor the hour. And the reason that the Lord is warning us and teaching us and telling us of this is because he wants you and I to keep our lamps trimmed, our vessels with oil and in our lamps. To be ready, in other words, he wants you to be walking with him, brother. He wants you to be walking with him, sister. He wants you to make sure that you are walking in relationship and in fellowship with him for when he returns. No man knoweth the day nor the hour. So it's not 12 o'clock at night. What this really denotes is not a single or certain particular one-time event, but rather it denotes a certain time in the dark. Certain time in the dark. It could be a certain time in the dark of this world. How dark is the world today? Do you know, when I left here this morning, by the time I got home, there was a lady from the United States who follows, as one of the ones from the United States follows, and she says, I really needed that. The watch is live this morning, and like, they're watching six hours behind us. They're watching in the middle of the night. Really needed this, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember all that she had written, but she says, I'm so discouraged with the falling away of the church and what's happening in the church, I really needed to hear that this morning. In the middle of the night, you see, there's a darkness that's among our nation. And there's a darkness that's in society. And there's a darkness that's fallen onto a slumber and a sleep upon the very ecclesia, the church of God. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, are you awake? Are you burning your lamp for Christ? If Christ came, where would he find you sometimes? You see, if we preach lovey-dovey things in five ways to have a blessed day and ten ways to have a good life, you'll fill the church 20, 30 times over, preach holiness, sanctification of living, and it starts to dwindle. How are we living, church? How is our lifestyle before God? Will God catch you in the pubs and the clubs? 
Will God catch you with a, a mouth like a sewer pipe, vulgar and swearing? Will God catch you? Will Christ return and, and you're found somewhere that's shameful, sinning before him? We're all righteous in the righteousness of Christ. I know that. But let me tell you something, friend. We're told that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether they're good or bad. Not for salvation, but sanctification. Christ returns here, and he says that he shall return when no one is expecting it. The day and the hour no man knows. How will Christ find you? In what condition of heart will he find you? Where will he find you? Notice here, at midnight or sometimes in the dark, in the darkness of society, in the darkness of the night of this world, when things seem like they couldn't get any worse, brothers and sisters, and like that lady today, and I answered her back and I seemed to encourage her, but like that lady today, here's what I want to say to you. If you and I get so discouraged and allow the world to pull us down and trample us over and cause us to walk away from Christ and, and they come with their, their threats and, and their, their, their veiled accusations and all of those things against the church. If the church doesn't take a stand, brothers and sisters, they'll die in the darkness of this life. Why do you have a lamp? Why are you a lamp? You have a lamp and you are a lamp. That you will have it filled with the oil of the Holy Ghost. And you'll be on fire, lighting the way in the darkest of nights. No matter who or what comes against you in the faith that is in Christ, that you will continue on to know and to serve and to follow the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, where will Christ find you? If you're not saved, friend, where will Christ find you? You see, the, the believer will stand before him at the great white throne, or pardon me, the judgment seat of Christ, and he'll give an account for the life that he's lived as a Christian. He won't be cast into the lake of fire. He won't be into a, a burning hell of sulfur. But, but the unbeliever will in the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20. And that's where they'll be. Where would God, where would Christ find you? Notice here, it is in the middle of the night in, the, in darkness. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 11, I want to read something to you. I want you to see, i read it with you. Exodus chapter 11, Israelites are in Egypt. Notice from verse 4. Exodus 11 and verse 4. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight. Notice that. So would you say about midnight? What, when did he say? About midnight. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill and all the firstborn of beasts. Notice this, verse 6. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it. 
anymore. Can you see that? There's a midnight cry. And the Lord said, Moses, tell Israel, I'm coming through Egypt this night. This is the 10th and final plague. 10 uh, is the number of God's complete order of things. In other words, the Ten Commandments. And here we have the tenth plague. God's complete order was he had given Pharaoh enough time, the Egyptians enough room, to let my people go that he says that they might serve me. And they kept turning their heart again. And it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's no turning back for him. See, God says my spirits and always strive with man. And I wonder for someone listening here who's hardened their heart many a times of the Lord. What if God says, that's it, I'll harden your heart, you won't be saved? Think about this. Here he hardens Pharaoh's heart, and we know the story of Israel coming out. But how did they come out? They come out through the blood of the Lamb. And the Lord says in, in chapter 11 and verse 4, about midnight I will go through into the midst of Egypt. Notice, about midnight. And there it says in the next verse, pardon me, in verse 6, and there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. Here's a midnight cry. Sometime in the middle of night, Israel tell them to take the blood of a lamb and slay the lamb and put it into a bucket and take a, the hyssop and dip the hyssop into the, into the blood and apply it to the doorposts and apply it again to the door lintels. For this night I'm coming, notice, through. I'm coming through Egypt. I'll be in the midst of Egypt. Coming through. There'll be a great cry and the wail of all the firstborn being slain. I'm coming through Egypt, notice. But when I see the blood, (laughs) I will pass over you. I will pass over you. This midnight cry, notice, there shall be a great cry. And then notice what it says in verse 7. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue. Against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Are you reading that tonight? God loves everybody the same, does he? God treats everyone the same, does he? God thinks of everybody the same. Well, here it says, the Lord says, I put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. These are my elect. This is my people. I have chosen them. And I know them over all the families of the earth. That's what God tells us through the scripture. What he says is, I have my people My people will come under the blood. My people will be baptized through the sea and I'll bring them out fully redeemed on the other side. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, listen. If an Israelite that night hadn't have put the blood in the doorpost and the door lintels, get a die like an Egyptian. He didn't say when I say, oh, there's Israel and there's Israel. He says, no, now it's when I see the blood. Are you under the blood? The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb of God. Notice this here. It says that you may know that, 
how the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. First of all, we have a great cry here. As in Matthew 25 and 6, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom come, go ye out to meet him. And here we have a great cry, but it's from the Egyptians at midnight. It's a different cry. It's from the Egyptians. It's from the unsaved. It's from those who are not gods, crying and wailing because the Lord has come through in judgment and punishment. Men and women who didn't know him. So here is a great cry in Exodus chapter 11. And then we have a great redemption. Notice what he says in verse 7 again. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast. Notice, what a redemption. Know what he's saying? See my people? You wouldn't let them go, devil. That's Pharaoh. You wouldn't let them go when you put them under slavery. And bondage, listen, see now in the spiritual and now days, see my people, that I know can happen nationally too with all that's going on. But listen, when I'm talking about spiritually now, with the individual, the devil has you bound. The devil has you addicted. The devil has you in chains. The devil has you in bondage. And the Lord's been saying, let my people go that they might serve me. The old devil's saying, I'm not letting her go. I'm not letting him go. And you see, you've been saying, oh, I'd love to get saved, but I can't have to do this or have to do that. Or I love my alcohol too much. Or I like to take the drugs. I love the partying too much. All of these bondages that are upon you that the devil, the Pharaoh holds you with. You're in the slave market of sin. You're trapped in the spiritual Egypt. But the Lord says, notice what he says. See, when I redeem my people. He says to them, let my people go. And when you don't let them go, he says, and I come on you, devil, to bring them out. He brings you out, brother. He brings you out, sister. He saves you and he keeps you. And a dog will not, as it were, uh, move or wag its tongue anymore against you. You know what he's saying? My great redemption, none shall pluck them out of my hand. None shall pluck them out of my hand. Listen, when Christ comes in, the devil goes out. When Christ goes in, the devil comes out. Notice, but any, but against any, he's looking at all of them, but he says, but against anyone, he says, there shall not a dog move his tongue against man nor beast. Little word any is fantastic because it means the whole off or every one individual. See, God thinks of you as an individual, but yet he sees you in the whole of it. God loves you and knows you, child of God, as the individual, but he sees you in the whole of the body. He's seen you among the nation and among the people. And whenever the Lord says here against any of the children of Israel, he won't leave one of you behind. Notice this in chapter 10, please. Exodus chapter 10. Just want to lift one little verse. And it's in verse 26. Our cattle also go with us, for there shall not an hoof be left behind. And thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. You know what Moses said? We're not leaving one thing behind. We're not leaving one man One woman, we're not leaving even our cattle behind. There's not going to be one hoof that belongs to God that's going to be left to the devil. 
Not one child of God that's been redeemed. Not one child of God that's been under the blood. Not one child of God that's trusted in Christ. Not one child of God that's put their whole full salvation in him and sealed by the Spirit of God. There's not one that's going to be lost. He saves and he keeps. He saves and he keeps. Listen, see if you could keep yourself, you'd be lost every day. Isn't that the truth? You'd have been lost as soon as you opened your eyes this morning. Look, some of you have been lost whenever you were in your sleep. Including me too. Isn't that true? I dreamt last night that I was driving a van for a living. I did. And I was driving this van around the coastside and I drove it off and into the sea. It was lovely blue sea, but it wasn't nice when I was in it. In a van. I'd have been lost in the sleep. Brothers and sisters, when Christ saves you, Christ keeps you. He keeps you. You'd have been lost at your your first fleeting thought this morning. You'd been lost at the breaking of the first commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, because you haven't done it today alone. Because you haven't done it, you haven't ever done it but yet he has done it for us. We try our best, but we feel miserably. But he says, you know what? Even though though you don't, my grace covers you. He says, and you'll not be lost because you belong to me. You belong to the Lord. There's a great cry. There's a great redemption. And notice, thirdly, there's a great difference. Exodus 11 and 7, that you may know that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Now, we have the scriptures tell us of our spiritual condition. For example, in Romans chapter 3, the end of verse 22, get into 20, verse 23, Paul says, for there is no difference. Now the Lord says there's a difference there, but here he says there is no difference. For there is no difference for all of sin that come short of the glory of God. Spiritually, every one of us are dead in our sins. Every one of us are dead toward God. Every one of us are lifeless. There's not one man or woman here who are saved could have turned themselves to God on their own merit, on their own steam, by their own selves. There's not one of us could have chosen Christ. Not one of us. Why? Because we were dead. The word dead in Ephesians 2, you knew who, uh, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The word dead is nachros, and it means as dead, as dead, as dead as dead could be. So you would have went to the old club, and you would have went to the old pub, and you would have went and done the other things, maybe fornication, all those things, and you, you took the drugs and the drink, and, you, and you'd have went and done whatever you did, and you wouldn't have thought a thing about it. No consciousness of God. It was all about the brute beast of man. Till the Holy Ghost comes down and quickens you. Till the Holy Ghost steps in and awakens you. Till the Holy Ghost comes and makes you alive. And you turn to behold the Lamb of God that bore away your sin. Isn't he marvelous? He could have left us like that. He could have left you like that. 
You're dead anyway. Off you go. Eat, drink, and be merry. He may have said, but thy food this night, thy soul may be required of thee. But he loved you. He came for you. He had bled and died for you. He sent his spirit to quicken you. His son to save you. And do you think he's going to let go of you? You're his. Not because of you, but in spite of you, child of God. What a wonderful saviour he is. What a wonderful God, for there is no difference. It means here, all of us are sinners. It's the word diastole is for difference here in Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. And diastole, it simply gives the idea of dia, which means to put asunder. And stalo, a setting aside. There's no putting asunder, and there's no setting aside when it comes to the heart of men. Doesn't matter how religious you are. Doesn't matter what church you've been to. Doesn't matter how good you've been. Doesn't matter your relics. It doesn't matter your rituals. It doesn't matter your dress. It matters none of it. There is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God or for all have missed God's mark. All have missed God's mark. There is no difference. When we look at the word difference, that the Lord puts a difference between the Egyptians and Israel's word pala, know what it means? To show himself marvelous. And to make things wonderful. God, in the redemption of his people, God in the redemption of Israel, God in the redemption and the separating of the Red Sea, through the simplicity of the blood of the Lamb, showed himself marvelous and wonderful unto his people. When people say, how are you saved? I'm saved because I'm under the blood. Sure, they look at you like you have four heads. Imagine a lamb is able to save you. A lamb, a man who says he's a lamb or is called a lamb, is able to save you, is able to wash your sin away, is able to forgive you. Catch yourself on, man, dear. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, The simplicity that is in Christ is this. That God sent forth his son. Made of a woman. Made under the law. That you and I who couldn't keep that law. Would become sons and daughters of the living God. So here God in his grace shows himself marvelous and wonderful. Indifferent in time, in judgment, and in redemption between his redeemed and between those who are not his. God shows himself marvelous and wonderful in between those who are saved and those who are lost. Do you know when the Titanic sank, um, they got news of the Titanic sink, and they were waiting to see who had survived and who had perished. And, and they had a board up at the White Star Line. And the board had simply two columns. Line drawn down the middle. Column on one side, column on the other side. You know what it said at part one? Saved. You know what it said at the other side? Lost. That was it. Saved. Coming off the boat, saved. 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 Coming off the little boats, off the ships, and it picked them up. Saved. 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 Saved the way down. And then lost, 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 lost. Just 
Two weeks ago coming, tomorrow, two weeks tomorrow was Jody's 18th birthday and we went down for a walk around Titanic area. It's a nice area to walk around when it's dry, <laughs> when the sun's out especially. And you can go behind the Titanic Center there and there they've got these ramps where the, the hull of the Titanic set and there's these big glass concrete plinths, big massive things, two of them. And there's this glass, the height of this. And as you go over to it, it's just right the whole way around the concrete on both of them. Rows and rows of names of those who perished. Souls who perished on the Titanic. You can go look at it. Rows of them. And brothers and sisters, when Christ returns, the church will have a sifting to see who are those are the wise and who's are the foolish. And there'll be a sifting to see who are the lost and who are the saved. Are you saved tonight? Are you saved? And I'm not saying this to be crude or crass or ignorant or trying to make fun. I seen a man yesterday at the abortion rally, heart went out to him. There he was, walking around with his hands here with a big statue of Mary this height, on his own, trying to carry her. There's where his faith is. God bless him. Save him. What are you carrying, friend? What idol do you carry? You stay away from Christ for your football? Stay away from Christ for your sport, whatever that may be. Carrying it like this. But I love it. This is my life. No, friend, that's your death. That's not your life. That's your death. What are you carrying? That you need to yield and give over to God. We have a lady here tonight. She was saved on Thursday night in the town hall meeting. She's been coming here quite a bit. And I'm not telling you who she is, Margaret. I mean, sorry. <laughs> She's telling people anyway, so I'm okay. And the Lord was dealing with her for weeks. She's come into the little ones. Carrying all of this. And see, when we prayed, I, I didn't even get off the stage. She came flying up the stage and I need to talk to him. I went to the side. If anybody had seen me coming around behind that curtain, they thought it was like Phantom of the Opera or something there. And I come around the back of this big black curtain and says, come on here. And I sat and I talked with her and I prayed with her. No, she done that. A big smile. And she says, she was so light and relieved. She'd stopped trying to carry that which God wanted to take from her. Her own sin. The idolatry of her own heart. Just like us all, Margaret. What are you carrying tonight, friend? Notice, the difference here means to show marvelous. And in our salvation, God has shown himself marvelous. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the blood of the Lamb of God. 
So God says that in his word that there'll be a cry in Egypt, or there was, pardon me, a cry in Egypt, and there will be a cry when he returns. But listen to what it says for the unbeliever. Revelation 6, verses 16 and 17. Revelation chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Notice, speaks of all the rich men, all the kings and all the ones we hold high in esteem in this life. Verse 16, and said, they said unto the mountains, that is, and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Can you see that? The lamb, the little innocent lamb. The little innocent lamb who died for us and loved us and gave himself for us for his precious blood, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, here he has wrath. He's not a picture on a wall. You know the little effeminate Jesus you see with the little glow around the face? That's not Jesus. That's an idol. And the Christ we have, well, we can just pray to him and everything becomes hearts and flowers and the whole charismaniac stuff we see today where he causes to do super amazing, wondrous things that are just silly. That's not our Jesus. He has wrath. God is love, but God has wrath. God's attribute, or one of his attributes, is love. He sits, as it were, if I can use that expression, he, he is within himself and his character and his nature. He is the essence of love. He is love. That's who he is. God has wrath. Verse 17 says, For the great day of his wrath has come, who shall be able to stand? Imagine, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Notice what the Lord said in Exodus 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt. Here it is, and there's a great cry in Egypt. So, when it says that the Lord will return, about midnight, it's not 12 o'clock and we can all sit and watch the clock going round. But sure, 12 o'clock here would be 6 o'clock in the United States on the eastern to mid United States. How many hours is the Middle East ahead of us? About three, four, two. So it would be 2 o'clock in the morning. So it doesn't work. I'm going to bring this to a close. Thank you for your attention. The Lord Jesus warns us and Peter in Second Peter chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 he says that knowing this that there shall come scoffers in the last days walking after their own lusts and saying where is the promise of his coming where is the promise of his coming brothers and sisters the promise hasn't changed he's shown us as we go along through time and history that we're getting closer so some dozed is the word, they, they lay down and they were out for the count. That's the idea of this. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. 
Listen to Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. You ready? The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But as long suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is coming. And whether our life, our breath is taken from us now, or we are alive at his coming, where are we, church? How will we stand before him? For example, night time through scripture, in Matthew 26 and verse 34, we're told it was at night time when Peter denied the Lord thrice and the cock crew. He went out into the night. We're told in Luke chapter 12 and verse 20, the man says, I will say to my soul, take thine easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord says, Thy food this night, it's the same word for nooks, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. In John chapter 13 and verse 3, Judas takes the sop of Jesus when he dips it in the, uh, in the dish and he gives it to him and he eats it and he goes out and we're told and he goes out and it was night. Brothers and sisters, you can find hope in the night. You can find hope in the night. Whenever we look at John chapter 3, we think of Nicodemus coming in the night to see Jesus. And he's told, you must be born again. There's hope in the night time. There's hope in the night experience of all of us. So here's what I've written to finish. The cry from the church should be generating louder and louder of the coming of the Lord. Behold, look ye here, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. So repent and believe the gospel. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This should be on the lips of every Christian. Every one of us. In Ephesians 5 and 14, Paul says, Awake thou that sleepest and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. When you turn with me to our reading in this, I finish. Verse 10 says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and says, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Now you see, this is not a contradiction. I've already said this before, and I have to keep repeating it so those people understand it. I know you not. And they say, well, sure, I thought he was God. Does he not know everything? Does he not know all of us? Is not what was said. Does he not know all things that are happening? Is he not omniscient where he knows everything? The answer is yes, absolutely yes, he does. And he is. But he says, I know you not. The idea to know is, a, is like a husband would love his, or know his wife. And what he's saying here is, don't call me Lord because I was never intimate nor personal with you. But I went to CET one Sunday night or maybe even two or three of them. Means nothing. 
But, but I like to sing those hymns that they used to sing and even those other wee songs, you know. I like those fast ones, you know, and clap my hands. Means nothing. But I paid money into charities all my life. Means nothing, friend. But I went and the priest gave me, uh, uh, forgive me of my sins. And, and even if I was dying, Lord, you know, sure. I got absolution. Means nothing. I went to see the pastor, Ken and Pastor Aaron. They both told me that it was all right the way it was. Am I not all right? He says, it means nothing, friend. He says, I didn't know you. I wasn't intimate with you. You're not, you're at a, it's like a husband knows his wife. You're not my bride. You're not in here. The door is shut. That's sober, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, the Lord is coming. And there are those who are waning. And there is a falling away happening in the church. And it's easy to get discouraged. We all get disillusioned. We get disgruntled. And I was thinking on the way home. I'm going to think of the disses of the Christian. Disillusionment and discouragement and disgruntled. And disappointed and all the disses. We all get the disses, don't we? All of us get the disses. But listen. He remains the same. You're his child. And he wants you to go fill up with the oil of the Spirit. That lump, that person who you are, get filled with the Holy Ghost and start burning again for Christ. Start burning again for his glory. God bless us all. Team, would you come up please?